I, I remember when I, was, when I worked for a company called Club Corps of America, um, I, I went up to Atlanta, Georgia area and um, uh, helped uh, work at a golf tournament, an LPGA golf tournament. It was the Chick-fil-A uh, LPGA Championship. And um, if, you, if you've ever been to a, a golf tournament, the, the uh, officials, they have these signs, and it used to say, quiet, please. Well, this one was in Atlanta, Georgia, and it said, y'all hush. I thought about bringing that up here to the state, to the pulpit today and just holding it up, but uh, it was actually at home. That's usually what I use when Karen's cross the line. I just hold that up. It's a little more subtle. So we've, I've got one in each room, so I don't have to. I'm never very far from it because, you know, just kidding, just kidding. All the visitors are thinking, check this church off the list. Next, please. So, uh, well, we saw last week, uh, I, I, don't want, I don't ever want us to be a church, and I don't want to ever be a pastor that shies away from God's Word. The, the truths may be difficult. The truths may be contrary to, to our flesh. They may be contrary to culture, and oftentimes are, but, but God's Word is good. And what God says here is good, and, and in many ways, I believe it has been distorted. It's been abused, uh, and, and even... Even, you know, submission and things like that, that, there's such bad words in our culture because, unfortunately, we as men have, uh, we've done a bad job in leading oftentimes and, and helping to understand the biblical context there. And uh, so I, I hope we will see that today. But last week, we, we saw that we are to use our gifts only as directed. Use only as directed. And, and we continue that this week. This is a continuation of what we saw last week in verses 1 through 25. And the, the, the point Paul was making then and the point he is making now was to leash the gifts in order to create a worship, a corporate worship that was orderly. That was orderly. Not, not to say there's not room for spontaneity. Not to, not to say that we should structure our worship services so rigidly that God couldn't interrupt even if He wanted to. But, but there needs to be order. There has to be some form to what we do. There has to be a purpose. And, and that's even within the home, the way that God has structured. We've, we've, we've studied these passages. Some male, head, male leadership, male headship, women's submission. It's not about inferiority it's not about less value it's about order so things aren't chaotic somebody has to lead and god created man and gave them the authority to lead i, I was i was kidding lee this morning we were talking about something else and and i, I sometimes i'll tell karen i know why god gave man the authority in the bible because we wouldn't have any otherwise you know, oftentimes our wives, they're very good leaders. They're very good at getting things done. And, and yet God has chosen men to be the leaders. And men, that's a responsibility. It's not a right that you just throw around. It's not a title that you just throw around. That is a responsibility. With authority comes responsibility. We, we on Thursday nights, our, 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 our men's, our men's uh, Bible study on Thursday night, we saw just this past Thursday how... After, after they had sinned, God came to the garden and He didn't ask Adam and Eve. He didn't call out for Adam and Eve. He called out for Adam. Adam was the authority. Adam was the leader. Therefore, Adam was responsible. And, and it says there that at, he, she ate the fruit and gave some to her husband that was with her. He, 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 he messed up his responsibility. He, he shirked his responsibility. And, and there's, there's huge responsibility with authority. And ultimately, what we're going to see here today is 
the reason that Paul gives for what he gives, the character of God is at stake. How we worship, what we do here, please know that the character of God is on display and the character of God is at stake. That's what we saw. He says, hey, if, if you come into these worship services and you're running around, and look, he's going to say, you're going to look like madmen. There's got to be order. There's got to be some form and function through how we worship corporately. And, and Paul said last week, if we're not careful in what we do here, the effect, not only will the, will the saved not be edified and grown and matured, but the lost will be turned away. Uh, almost sealed in their unbelief because they'll come and, and say, these people are madmen. Instead, if, if somebody from that is law, that is an unbeliever, comes in here, it ought to be obvious. They ought to walk away with one conclusion. God is among them. I may not agree with them. I may not... I may not I may not walk hand in hand with them, but one thing I cannot deny is this. God is among them. The character of God is at stake in how we worship. Not only corporately, but even in our everyday lives, but specifically Paul is talking about corporate worship here. The purpose that we do for everything we do when we gather here is to edify the saved, is to build up the saved so that we can go out in our homes, in our communities, in our schools, and all the different roles that we play, and we can play them out in a biblical function. We can be the man of God called man of God that God has called us to be as a husband, as a father. We can be the woman of God that God has called us to be. We we can be as a, a our students can have an impact on their campus. No matter how old, no matter how young, we're to build them up that they'd be mature. That they wouldn't be tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine, as it says in Ephesians 4. So that we can win the loss when we scatter. So that we can, as Peter says, we can give a defense for the hope that we have. But we can do it with gentleness and we can do it with respect. But we need to be built up. And, and that theme holds true today. What we do, we are talking about the gathering of believers. We are talking about building each other up. We're talking about helping one another. And Paul is saying how you structure your worship service has a huge impact on not only are you accurately displaying the character of God, but are you growing up? And, and I, uh, some time ago, and I may, have shared this, I may have shared this before with you, but there was a man and a woman at a Starbucks, and, and they were an, it was an older man and woman, and, and they were going over the alphabet. They're going over the alphabet. And, and the man had stepped away uh, to go to the bathroom, and the woman was practicing the alphabet. And, and she, A, B, C, and she got to S, and, and she was stuck. She, she kept getting to S and was stuck. And the couple next to them kindly says, T, T. And the lady repeats it as if she realized, she said, T, T, that's it, T. She says, thank you, that T, that's it, thank you. The, the man returns, her, this man returns, and, and the, two, the two tables started talking. It, it turns out that this woman had had a stroke. She, she had lost her memory, and her friend was helping her regain her memory. Her friend was helping her remember who she was, was helping her put back the pieces of her life. 
And, and they said that every day that they would go to this same Starbucks and they would go over the same things trying to help her put back that which she had lost. To remember who she was, to remember who she is. E- even the learning of something very basic like the alphabet. And, and I thought about that. That's a picture of what we do every Sunday here. Every Sunday. We, we, we have to fight. Hebrews 23 says the tendency is to forsake the assembling together. The tendency is to move away. The tendency is to forget. And we, we've come here to remember who we were without Christ, to remember who we are in Christ, to, to understand that we have an enemy that wants to defeat our homes, it wants to destroy our marriages, it wants to destroy our children, it wants to destroy our lives individually. That, that the promises of Christ, we're here to remind ourselves and remind each other. We're here to come alongside just like this man was doing this woman and help us. That's why the Bible says when we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. That's what the body of Christ does. And, and Paul is saying what we do when we gather week after week after week, what we do when we gather is important and how we do what we do matters and it matters greatly we, we cannot treat what we do here lightly we can't be casual about it we can't be casual throughout the week we can't be casual throughout the weekend and saying hey well if i feel like it sunday i'll get up and go or if, if i'm not too tired no we ought to make sure we're not too tired we ought to make sure the time is carved out why because we need it imagine if this man treated his time with this woman casually you know what if i'm too tired We won't meet today. Hey, if I have time, I'll meet with you. No, this man set aside every single day of that week to meet with this lady because it was important. And and that's why we gather. Because the character of God is at stake because we want the character of God that is in us to be worked out in us that people would see the character of God. And, And we meet weekly to remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and not only that, who we were without Christ. Because the tendency even there is to forget. And, and Paul says, he, he jumps in, just to jump in here, he, he's, again, he's talking about corporate worship and, and, and the main truth of what he says here, and it's continuing, he says this, you see it on your handout, in order for the gift, in order for all of our gifts to come together to build up the body of Christ so that we would be able to evangelize the lost, our gifts must be used and our worship corporately must be done in an orderly fashion in keeping with the character of God. That's the first thing Paul says. Our worship must be orderly in keeping with the character of God. Again, the character of God is at stake. You you see in verse 26, Paul says that what is the outcome then, brethren? He's pointing back to verses 1 through 25. What's the response? What's the conclusion to what we saw last week? And we saw last week over and over that, again, that we exist to build up the body, to equip the body, to edify the body. He says, what's the, what's the outcome? And, and Paul continues that. He says right off the bat, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. You see it again. Paul reminds them again, and I'm reminding you again, that the hope, the goal of everything we do here is the edification of the believer to build up the believer, to to help the believer achieve maturity. Why? So that we can evangelize the lost when we scatter. 
so that we can give a, a reason for the hope that we have, so that we can defend our faith, so that we can withstand the attacks of the evil one. We're to grow up in Christ so that we will be useful in ministry, so that we'll be useful. 2 Timothy 3.16, we've said it, all Scripture, God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So the man of God, the woman of God, will be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped. That's why we're here. That's why we're banking on the Word of God. That's why we're building on the Word of God. So that we will display the character of God before a lost world so that we can seek and save the lost because we're mature. So that we can, in maturity, accomplish the goal that God has put forth for the church. And it's not some, what we do here is not random, it's thought out, it's planned, it's purposeful. And again, in order, not only, not only does our worship gatherings need to be orderly in order for them to be, to fulfill the purpose, but, but what Paul puts forth here is the reality that all of us have to participate in order for it to accomplish its purpose. We need every believer to participate. You see all throughout here, it, there, the whole body of Christ was participating. Not that the worship assembly was chaotic, but they were bringing their gifts together to serve others. To serve others. They were engaged, literally is what Paul would say. They're engaged. It would be the same again. We've, we've, we've played it out, but... You need all the parts of your body every day to be engaged. When you wake up, you can't afford for some of your body just to take the day off. For some of your body just to not show up. We need a, I need everything participating and I need it working properly in order to function. And it's the same with the body of Christ. Every single one of us have been giving specific, unique gifts by the Spirit of God, and we are to engage those in the building up of the body of Christ. They weren't given for your good, they were given for the body's good. That, that's the point. It, what, what we see here is a highly participatory gathering. Everyone was engaged. And, and, and God, by His grace, He's given us tremendous flexibility in, in what a worship service look like, looks like in the specifics but all of that with the goal of edifying the believer. Edifying believer. You, you can look in Acts. There are some core fundamental things that need to be in every worship service that need to, be, need to be sought after, but ultimately it's for the edification, for the building up of the believer, and we all contribute to that, every single one of us. If that doesn't do a lot for your self-esteem, I don't know what it is, that, that we're relying on you. God has gifted you. We live in a world, self-esteem is a big deal. Well, here, here's all the self-esteem you need. God has equipped you to serve the body, and we need you. Please know that. You're valuable. Be a contributor. Be engaged. No matter what it is, every single one of us. Every single one of us. And, and Paul is saying here, he longs for people to come to church ready to build up the body. Eager to come. Is there somebody there that I can encourage today? Is, is there somebody there that needs a word from God today that, God, you might use me to be that, that one? God, what word do you have for me today out of your word? I, I, just, just being in the presence of other believers, it ought to get us excited. The, the, gifts, the gifts that God has given us are to be brought together like ingredients, if you will, are brought together to help a body be what it 
is. You think about a recipe. You leave out an ingredient, it changes the whole recipe. That we all have gifts. And we need those gifts being used, being engaged, being employed. Uh, what we do here is not for self-edification. Peyton didn't sing up here to just say, hey, look at me. That was a, the, the, song, the lyrics of that song, I was sitting there thinking, those were phenomenal lyrics. She did that for, for the glory of God, that we would be edified by that. That's her heart. It wasn't entertainment. Daniel takes great care in making sure that the words of the songs are not just for entertainment, that they're theological. Because this is a time for edification. And the application to this for us is very clear. A Christian comes to receive and to give. We come to be built up so that we can build up. We come to be filled up so that we can be squeezed out. We come to be filled out so that up here so God can pour us out out there. And even in here into the lives of one another. Literally what we're doing here, it's like filling up a sponge with water so that I can walk, when I wash my car, the rare times, I was thankful for those hard storms yesterday. I got a free car wash. I was thankful. I had pollen. I, my car was maroon, and then it like started turning to green. I was thankful for the, for the car wash, but I don't even know what I was going with that. Sponge. Thank you. Thank you. Man, you're, you're engaged. At least Jennifer is. Thank you. Stay right there on that front row and help keep me. My ADD kicks in. What I do, the rare time I go to wash my car, what do you do? You take the sponge, you dip it in a bucket of water, you squeeze it, it fills up water, you go to the car, and you squeeze that, that sponge out on the car. That's what we're doing here. We're dipping the sponge in the water to be filled up with God's Word so that we can go be squeezed and poured out in the lives of others. So we come to be filled up so that we can... Give. There, there's no passivity here. When you come to church, the question is, do you participate or do you spectate? Are you a participator? Are you a spectator? You can look throughout history and you will see that where the church grew the fastest, it was in, it was in, it was in fellowships that had every single member of that fellowship had an opportunity to serve and was fully engaged. That's where the body of Christ grew the most. Where relationships flourished and where every single person came and said, that's my responsibility, I'm doing it. I'm getting engaged. This isn't a roller coaster where one person is controlling the roller coaster and we're all on it saying, faster, faster, faster. No, 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 we're all engaged. Even from, from fledging church plants all the way up to established churches, where the... Where the Word of God has progressed the fastest and the best has been in churches where all the members were engaged. Where they knew their spiritual gifts. That's why Gary Davis had done it in his class and we sent out that email about that spiritual gifts test. Take it and send it back to me. Check your email. I know that's archaic, but there's a spiritual gifts test waiting in your, e in your inbox. Take it and send it back. I want to see what we're working with. I want to make sure... And, and, and hear me. Churches grow when people recognize their gifts and they get involved. And, and again, we, you know, we talked about it last week. Paul says, if anyone, he, he goes on, let them be done for edification. The goal is edification. And, and, and we have come to be built up and to build up. And we need every single gift engaged. We need every single person fully engaged in order for us to function properly.
and, and hear my heart here. If, if you have a gift and wants to do something at this church to help us to build each other's up, I promise you my answer is going to be yes. Go after it. Let's talk. If it's biblical, if I feel like it'll build up the body, I feel like it'll in, 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 help the, the, reach the lost, help reach this community, let's go. Let's go. I'm all ears. I'm all ears. The, 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 the problem is I, I want, I need you. I'm one person. Michael's one person. Daniel's one person. We can't do it all. We need everyone engaged. I, I, we want everyone ready to come, ready to work. I, I'll support your ideas any way I can so long as they're biblical, but you're going to have to work. That's just the way, that's the only way it's going to function. But that's the way it was meant to function. Not, not a bunch of professionals doing it for you, but every single one of us using our gifts to serve. And, and, and Paul immediately, in saying that, in verse 26, Paul immediately puts parameters around the displays of the gift. And this is where, again, the use only as directed comes in, in verses 27 through 34, 33. Rather. It, it is to regulate them. It, there, it, it's a reminder that, that these two gifts, tongues and prophecy, they were causing the issues in the church. And Paul emphasizes these two gifts, but, but even with all of our gifts. The underwriting truth here is this, control yourself. Control yourself. You know, I, I, um, I borrowed uh, a pressure washer from, from a friend of mine and um, uh, pressure washed my house well, get th this past uh, Friday evening. Well, guess what? I used the wrong tip. There were parts of my house that were flying off. That thing was so strong, like stuff on the, the fancy little stucco or whatever it is, I got to figure out how to get up there with some spackle or something and make it look right again. But, but you know, not only was it getting the dirt, but it was, getting, it was destroying stuff that should be there, and that's what Paul is saying. Look, God has given you a gift, but when you don't use them right, people get hurt. Things get hurt. When you don't use that, that pressure washer, great, a lot of pressure coming out. It's great for moving dirt, but it also removed the paint. And, and that's the point Paul is saying here is control yourself. The, God has equipped you, but control yourself. And he's saying if you can't control yourself, if you can't do what is best for the body, if you can't do them under specific guidelines, then keep silent. And Paul makes it very clear, no more than two or three in each setting. He says that for tongues, he says that for, for prophecy. He says there must be an interpretation. Tongues, prophecy. He said it must be edifying. Again, edification is the goal. Essentially, the same requirements for both of these, and the basic appeal was to self-control and was to deference. And I would say that's true for all of our gifts. Use them for the body of Christ to be built up, not for your own good. Figure out how you can use them to the good of the body and employ them. Use some self-control. But notice what he also says. He says there's accountability, and it has to be backed up by the truth of God's Word. He, he, he says very clearly, nothing going on here in verses 27 through 33 in the display of prophecy, nothing going on here was a static speech that you would find in the cults then and you find in some things now. It was not a static, uncontrolled speech. He says, control yourself. And again, because he says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You're in control. 
It's not just as I'm out of control, I couldn't help myself. You can help yourself. Keep it focused. And Christian worship, Paul is saying, in that day, there were cults and there was this ecstatic, uncontrollable speech and it was chaos. And what Paul is saying is that Christian worship is to be radically different from that of the world in its worship. He's not saying it doesn't exist. He's saying it's to be different. It's to be radically different. A Christian is never out of control with regards to his gifts, is what Paul is saying. The, the Holy Spirit doesn't take somebody over and possess them to where they can't control themselves. And he's saying, especially in the body of, the, of, the body of our public gatherings, the, the gifts and their displays were subject to the person who had them. Use them wisely. Use them wisely. Do it through a control. We're never out of control and just blame it on something else. Nobody just blurts out things uncontrollably, either in a tongue or a word. He's saying there needs to be an edification. There needs to be an interpretation. No, nobody, what he's saying is nobody is to dominate discussions in the small groups or in the public gatherings. Control yourself. Control yourself. And the goal of this was not to stifle the gifts, but it was to show the character of God. The character of God. And that's what Paul says. Look at verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The character of God is at stake in how we worship. Just please hear that. Everything here and everything that we do out there is a testimony to the character of God. We're making a statement. And, and it has to be in line with God's divine activity in the rest of the churches. He's saying, look... You think you're doing your own thing and you're good for that? He said, I, I, be cautious. There's a whole bunch of churches out here who have no problem doing it this way and you're off on your own. There's accountability. There's accountability here. And, and, and he's saying, you, you, can't, you can't excuse yourself for being out of control by saying, well, I have more of the Spirit. I have more of this than others. No, you need to be in accord with what's going on in all the churches. God is working in those churches just like He's working in your church, orderly and peacefully because that's His character. Again, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. What results when believers do not submit themselves and their gifts to the glory of God and are not, and are not displaying them the way that God is, has put out there? It's chaos. There's got to be order. There's got to be a purpose. Otherwise, it's chaos. Everyone doing their own thing, stepping on each other, biting and devouring. There's got to be order. And, and Christians and non-Christians are impacted. That's what he's saying. Reign in your gifts. Look at verse 40. But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. Use your gift under the submission of the leadership of the church, but go serve. Make sure people know what you're doing. Make sure there's some accountability there. Make sure all that's going on, but use your gift in an orderly way. And it's interesting, you know, I'm not making a broad brush stroke, but when you, think of, uh, when you think about churches with tongues in that, oftentimes what comes to mind is chaos. Not all the time, I'm not making a broad... Oftentimes, that's, that's, that's what happens, it's chaos. I'm not trying to mischaracterize, but unfortunately the media and others, that's who they want to portray as a charism is chaos. And guess what? It reflects on the character of God. They think... You Christians are crazy. Our worship matters. Our, our, our purposes here 
matter. And many of the churches who claim to have these gifts or have people in their churches that have these gifts violate the most basic principles that are put forth here. No more than two or three and always an interpretation. He said, if you're going to do it, hey, it's got to be within these parameters. There's got to be control. He's saying, don't, 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 don't confuse. Don't just show off. Do it in a controlled, orderly fashion. And the, the Corinthians, we've got to understand it. At every turn... There's a tendency for us, just like the Corinthians, to use our gifts to glorify self and to make much of self rather than glorifying the body. To take our gifts and what God has given us and exhaust them on ourselves versus pouring ourselves out for others. That's the tendency. And it was detrimental to the church. It was detrimental to the lost. It was chaos. It was unprofitable. It's same language we saw in chapter 6. What do you say? All things are lawful, not all things are what? Profitable. It's not profitable, so don't do it. Same thing we saw in chapter 13. Without love, he said nothing profits. Profits nothing. And the issue here is a theological issue. The problem here, it's a theological problem. And it all went back to the character of God. The character of God, listen to this truth, the character of one's God is reflected in the character of one's worship. What you think about God and how you view God is reflected in the way that you worship God. Are you passionate about God? I promise you, your worship will be passionate. Do you, see, do you worship this puny little God that's at your beck and call? I promise you that impacts your worship. I promise you. You have a hard time worshiping God? probably has to do with how you view God. The character of one's God is reflected in the character of one's worship. And so I ask the question, what, what does our worship say about our God? What does your worship say about the God you serve? Is it passionate? Is it zealous? Is it hot? Or is it cold? It says something. Is there emotion? John Piper once said, where emotions for God are dead, worship is dead. There ought to be some emotion. Is God awesome or isn't He? Do we get more excited about seeing a great play in, the, in March Madness than about telling people about our God? Do we get more excited about other things than the worship of our God? That's, the, that's what Paul is saying. The character of our God is reflected in the character of our worship. Is He not overwhelmingly good to us no matter what? Is the blood not beautiful? Then sing. Worship. And our worship makes a statement about our God. That's what Paul is saying. God is not a God of confusion but of peace. As in all the churches, don't through your worship, confuse the world about who God is and what He's like. Don't confuse them. Make sure they know, just like going back to verse 25, declaring that God is certainly among you. How we worship through song, how we worship through the Word, a neglect of God's Word, I promise you, in our hearts, it tells about our view of God when we neglect His Word. It, it, it's, it's, it's indicative of, our, of the character 
of the God that we worship. And Paul is concerned that we not mischaracterize our great God through how we worship and how we live. And confusion and disorder is not indicative of the great God that we serve. That's what he's saying. When you worship, worship accurately and in an orderly fashion. Not, not, not only that, in verses 26 through 40, he says, in order for a gift to build up the body of Christ and evangelize the lost, our worship must respect God-ordained authority in keeping with the character of God. God-ordained authority. And remember, the, the, the context, remember the context where we find what we see here in these, these wonderful verses that we all couldn't wait to get to in verses 34 and 35. Remember the context. It had to do with order. It has to do with the character of God. It has to do with everything else that we've seen already regarding women and husbands and submission and leadership. It was for order. God has put authority above us because He loves us. Romans 13, authority is a gift from God. You may not like the person in the authority, but you'll respect the position. and Because authority is from God. And again, Paul even appeals here. Everything you read here in 34 and through 36, it has to do with order. And, and the, Paul appeals to the law. There, there was no Old Testament law that taught women must be silent in the worship in that sense. He's going back to creation. He's going back to Adam and Eve. He's going back to the husband was set up to be the leader of the home, to be the authority figure. Man was created first, the woman was created to be a helpmate, and that was order and there was no way around it. That was the order. Husbands, your job is to lead. Wives, your job is to be a helpmate to his leadership. Do not usurp his authority, not question his authority publicly. You are to support him. That's what Paul is saying. He's building on that. That wives, you are under the authority of a male leader as a husband. Again, Remember what we said a few weeks ago about submission. That's such an ugly word, but, but remember this. What did we say? Everyone is under submission. Just like Lee said earlier, wives, you're subject to your husbands. But guess what, husbands? Guess who you're subject to? Christ. Guess who you're getting your cues from? Christ. A couple weeks ago when we first met with the men's study on Thursdays, Tony Evans said this. Your relationship to Christ is reflected in your relationship to your wife. The ability and the, the longing and the, 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 the joy that your wife gets in serving and submitting to you is seen is a picture of, of your following Christ. And I don't know if I'm, I think I'm wording that pretty close to, to what it said, but there's a picture there. Pa Paul is not saying that women have nothing to offer churches. Please hear that. The majority of the positions at this church that have volunteers in them are, guess what, women. He's not saying you have nothing to offer. Churches everywhere are extremely dependent on women. I, I would bet many of you were led to Christ by a woman or by a mom. Discipled. It's not stifling women in ministry in that sense. This has everything to do with submission and order, and again, a picture of the character of God. You, you go back to 11.5, it, 
it's clear that women had, had roles, but every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she's one and the same. It's not, dis, it's not destroying the role of women. He's putting it in its proper context, in the order. You go to 1 Timothy 2.12, same thing. It, and what happened here, it seems that women were abusing their gifts and they were using them out of place. He, he's not saying that women don't have spiritual gifts and not to use them. He's saying you need to make sure when you, when you use your spiritual gift, you still do that in a way that shows a, an, a, that you have an authority figure over you, and that is your husband. You don't do it in a way that undermines his authority. You don't do it in a way that questions his authority. You don't do it in a way that does anything to disrupt his authority. And, and both men and women, when acting out of place, destroy the church. And Paul is painting a picture of submission on the parts of all the body. Of all the body. And, and the silence, what he's saying is, and, and, and again, this is in the context of interpreting tongues and prophecy. And what he's saying is, ladies who have husbands, you let your, your, your husband is a leader in this church, you let him do that. You let him give that publicly. You don't do it. Because what's going to happen? If you give one thing and he gives another, it's going to undermine his authority. It's going to destroy his authority. And, and silence would express the subordinate relationship to their husbands. And that's what you're painting here, an uh, understanding of authority and embracing the character of God and authority. And, and interestingly enough, as I read this and studied this, what this passage is known for and, and, and what it teaches, I think it's known for only half of the truth that it teaches, unfortunately. This passage is known for quieting women. But what I see here is a call for men to spiritually lead their homes. Look, look, look at what he says. If they desire to learn anything, let them ask their own husbands at home. Guess who ought to be responsible for the discipleship and making sure that our wives are spiritually mature and are growing? The husband. The husband. This is a call for male leadership. And we beat the drum. Yo, husbands, you be quiet. Well, guess what, man? Step up and lead your home, and she won't need to say something out publicly. She won't need to ask questions publicly because she's got a man at home who leads her. she got a man at home who she knows she can go to and ask him. He may not have the answers, but she knows, guess what? He's going to find out. One of my greatest fears, if I'm vulnerable, one of my greatest fears, I, I love my wife leading these Bible studies. She comes to me with all kinds of questions. I don't want her coming to you. I want her coming to me because you know what God uses that for? God keeps me accountable and He keeps me in the Word. And she comes to me with questions and guess what? I'm not ashamed to say, I don't know, Karen, but I'm going to find you an answer. As the leader of this home, as the spiritual leader of this home, I don't know what the answer to that is. I'm going to find out. And that's, that, is, that is a whole different picture than if Karen's running around this church asking a bunch of other men, what do you think about this? What do you think about this? She comes to me. It's order. It's a picture. I'm the leader. And guys, part of the reason why our wives are struggling is because they don't know where we're leading. They don't trust our leadership. Or they, maybe they don't have a solid leader above them that knows, hey, that, I think if you, I got a lot of faults, but I, I, I believe this in my heart of heart. Karen trusts that I'm seeking after the Lord. 
of all my faults, I think one of the one of the things Karen can say about me is this. He spends time with the Word and he wants to know the Word. And guess what? Guys, I'm encouraging you. That covers up a whole bunch of my mistakes. That blanket covers up and rubs out a whole bunch of the areas that I'm terrible at. A whole bunch of them. And guys, I hope that we're leading in such a way that our wives are confident enough that they can come to us good and bad. Karen will, Karen, Karen will come to me and in a, a very submissive spirit say, Chris, have you thought about that? Chris, can you tell me you know, what you're thinking about that? She doesn't in a sub, you can she can question me and help me in a submissive with us. Chris, I want to submit to you, but can you help me understand this? And this passage is screaming, begging on behalf of the women. Paul is saying, Husbands, leave your homes. Husbands, chase after God with all your heart and lead your homes. Be a man that your wife can go to with her questions that she knows there is a responsibility for us as husbands to lead in such a way that our wives can come to us and have their questions answered. So they're not out being a bit, they're not out asking other men and doing all this other stuff. They're coming to you. And men, if your wife has a question about the Bible, does she think to come to you first? That's telling about our leadership. Does she think to come to you first? Does she think, you know what? I'm gonna, if Kelly has a question, does she say, hey, I'm going to go ask Lee. If Lee don't have an answer, I know Lee will find it. Or does she need to go to somebody else? D- does your wife see you men as a lover of God's word? D- does your wife trust that, hey, following this guy, I know he's going to lead me to the cross. I know he's going to lead me to Jesus. It may not be a straight road, but ultimately where he desires to go is Jesus. It's the first thing, if I said to you, hey, David, come follow me. You know what the first question David's going to ask me? Where are you going? Where are you going? My fear is that we have a lot of wives that are looking at their husbands saying, where are you going? Where are we going? And that causes a lot of anxiety. You know what my kids, when they don't know where, I know I've noticed about my kids, when my kids don't know where we're going, they ask a lot of questions. They ask a lot of questions. You know what I've noticed about myself? If I just jumped in the car and Karen said, hey, come and go with me, now I trust her, but I'm going to ask a lot of questions. Where are you going? Our wives need to know where we're going. And again, it's not saying you need to be Bill Nye, the Bible answer guy. Guys, it's saying you need to be pursuing the Word of God, and and, and there's a lot of grace there. I, I don't expect perfection out of Bradley and Sarah. What I do expect is a movement, moving in that direction, growing. Guys, does your wife catch you reading the Bible? Does she see you reading the Bible? Do your kids? We're to lead. We're to be the leaders. And, and there's accountability here. Verse 36, was it from you that the word of God first went forth? Or has it come to you only? Look, I don't have a, I don't have a, I don't have a monopoly on truth. When I study the Word of God, I dig in and dig in and dig in, and guess what? There's a few other resources out there that I'm going to constantly go to and say, hey, am I on the right track? Because if I end up over here in right field, 
and everybody else is in left field, the problem is probably with me. And when we, when we feel like we have a word from the Lord and when we feel like God is directing us and guiding us, there ought to be still a submissive spirit, a spirit that says, you know what, I'm doing the best I can to meet with God and I really feel like this may be where, but it's by faith. And true spirituality, what Paul is getting to here, let's land this thing real quick. True spirituality, I mean true spiritual maturity is seen in our obedience to the word. See, the, the, the Corinthians saw it in the, the public gifts, the displays and all this stuff. You know what Paul says in verses 36 through 40? True spiritual maturity is seen in obedience to the Word. If any of you are spiritual, you'll prove it by obeying the Word. If you're spiritual, you'll prove it by husbands leading your homes. If you're spiritual, you'll prove it by submitting to your husbands. If you're spiritual, true spiritual maturity is seen in obedience to the Word. The Spirit of God never works contrary or contradictory to the Word of God. If you think God told you something, it's backed up by this Word, I'd set it aside. He does not work apart from this Word. And nowhere is that principle bigger than spiritual gifts. All throughout this, take it back to the Word, take it back to the Word. He, he said... No prophet and the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. When you hear me preach, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be sifting what I say through the Word of God to make sure I'm accurate. 1 John 4, I'm, I'm not above reproach. I'm not above you in a submissive way saying, Hey, Chris, you sure about that? You ought to care about me enough to bring me back if I'm out in right field. But not publicly in a respectful way. And that's why we gather, because we're doing life together. And, and you know what? I come alongside you, and you come alongside me. And how you doing? You having a rough week? You know, I, I, you know, I, I did a funeral yesterday for a, for a guy. And, and it was, I, the Spirit of God was all over the circumstances with me being where I was at the right time to have the right words. And this is a family who, you know, I, I thought about 2 Corinthians 1, 3, comfort others with the comfort you've been comforted with. A young lady had to make the decision to take her dad off of life support. They called me on Wednesday, said, Chris, hey, will you, will you go with us and do that? Will you be here when we do that? I said, yeah, I'll come down there. And, and, and I would have never, I, I say that cautiously, it's not in my notes, I say that cautiously because I know even my own family, the thought of that brings up tremendous. And we wept together. Because I, I watched, a, I watched a, a wife and a brother-in-law and a mother-in-law have to make that same awful decision. But see, that's what the body of Christ does. Comes around. Comes along one another. And we share with one another, hey, you know what, it's going to be alright, God's going to be faithful. God's going to walk you down a nasty road that you don't want to walk down, but you know what? I can tell you this. He's going to be faithful because I've seen Him be faithful for five and a half years. That's what the body of Christ does. It's not about us. It's about the character of God. We worship because we serve an awesome God. So I ask you, how are you doing? 
You, you, how, how's your spiritual maturity? You, you obeying God's word? Would you be somebody who somebody would say, hey, they use their gifts to the glory of the body, or are you sitting on some gifts? It could be as simple as in your age bracket, getting people in your age division together and just saying, hey, once a month, we're all going to go out to dinner together. That would be a huge blessing to this church, but do it. Plan a fellowship. Plan a, do, use your gifts. I, Melissa will tell you, I'm an administrative nightmare. I'm an, a wreck. She's very gifted at it. By God's grace, she puts up with it and <laughs> helps me. But do it. Whatever, whatever gift you have, put it to use. Put it to use to the glory of God. And, and, and not only that, are you embracing the authority and the responsibility? Husband, have you fully embraced and accepted the fact that you're the spiritual leader of your home? And what are you doing about it? Wife, have you fully received and just are, uh, do you have a submissive spirit that says, you know what, I'm just going to, as much as my flesh may want to fight that, I'm going to support my husband and I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure he's the best husband he can be. Nobody may not even notice what I'm doing. He may get all the credit, but you know what, God assigned me as his helpmate and I'm going to embrace that out of faith. I'm going to do the best I can do to make sure he's the best husband he can be. And I promise you, ladies, in almost all the cases, you're going to be blessed by that. You'll be blessed by that. I, I pray that we would be guided by the Word and that we would have a love for one another that is so clear that when, we, when people see us, they would say this, God's all over those people. I may not agree. They may not always agree, but I can tell you this, God's all over them. And I pray that when people see us, that they get in, through our lives, through our worship, that they get an accurate picture of the character of God. My job as a believer is to live out the character of God in my life that He's put in me. That's the point, to be an accurate picture.